0: Welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks out the middle ground in things like the world. Today, Canada, kind (laughs) of. I'm Annika Buckle.
1: And I'm Jenny Omani. And if you are enjoying the podcast, we would really love a lovely review from you. Five stars is ideal if it's a five point scale. Um, On whatever platform you're listening from, share with your friends. These things mean so much. What are we talking about today?
0: Um, well, okay. So I'm just going to open with, I have more notes today than I have ever had. So this may oh. be a two-parter. We'll see okay. where this goes. We'll see where 19 pages of notes takes us. Today, we're going to talk in detail about something maybe not directly related to the wellness world, but that absolutely has really cri- critical relevance for all Canadians who consume anything online online. I'm not totally sure exactly what middle ground we're going to find, because especially for Jenny and I as Canadian podcasters, we absolutely have a horse in this race. But at a minimum, our goal today is to take a deep dive and we'll see where we come out. So we're going to be talking today about two bills that have passed into law this year that govern the media that Canadians consume. One is Bill C-11, also known as the Online Streaming Act, and the other is Bill C-18, the Online News Act. Oh,
1: I knew the News Act. I wasn't sure about the other one.
0: I know. That this one is... sounds
1: like icky. Well, I mean, the, the News Act has honestly been the most annoying, <laughs> just as an end user, the most annoying fucking thing ever. Yeah. Yep. It's just yeah. like dead so, links everywhere. No links or dead and, links.
0: Yeah. Constantly, uh, Canadians can't view this, right? So, um I'm going to take just a minute to explain these as simply as I can at a high level. Now, I will say that summarizing them has proved incredibly challenging because they are so complicated and multifaceted. Um, Jenny and I actually started talking about covering this months ago Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, because it's a lot and it's confusing. And honestly, trying to find a clear summary was really hard. Um, And I will also tell you, reading through the long text of a bill on the parliament website is the most boring thing I think I've ever done, except for maybe like statistics in political science. (laughs) I cannot tell you how many times I had to reread through the different pieces of the bill before I even understood half of it. So anyways, (laughs) I am going to try to be a little bit more interesting than the parliament website. So Bill C-11 expands the Broadcasting Act that grants the CRTC, that's the Canadian Radio Telecommunication Commission, regulatory powers over radio and television to include all audiovisual content on the internet, including content on platforms like TikTok, YouTube, Spotify, and drumroll podcast clients. It regulates that all platforms hosting audiovisual content that are not specifically excluded must make financial contributions to producing officially recognized Canadian content, or CanCon, as I will call it throughout this episode. Platforms must also make CanCon, quote, discoverable by filling feeds and search results with a mandatory quota of official CanCon content or face penalties from the CRTC. I don't even understand that. <laughs> you lost me. Uh, it doesn't
1: make sense. I thought, okay. So,
0: Bill C11 is the one that actually impacts us directly as podcasters, mm-hmm. and you listening to this as a person in Canada who consumes podcasts. Mm hmm. Bill C-18 is the one that I think probably people have had more immediate uh, user end bump up against, as Jenny was Mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. Um, This Bill C-18 is to regulate digital news intermediaries. So this is Google Meta with the intent of, quote, enhancing fairness, whatever that means, in the Canadian digital news marketplace. Its goal is to help make news businesses in Canada more sustainable, a.k.a. make more money, in both nonprofit and for-profit sectors, including local independent media. The idea behind this is most Canadians get their news from Google and Facebook or Instagram and aren't paying for said news. Where people used to buy paper copies of the newspaper, people aren't paying for online news content in that same way.
1: This is just the dumbest shit ever because
0: without... Like the Coles Notes version,
1: and if you are American, this will blow your mind because you probably may not even be aware of this happening. The end result of this is that we cannot view any news on our internet. Current, well, currently on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know. Is it, I'm assuming it's not there either it's it's just
0: account. we'll get into the details but okay. it is just meta and alphabet so alphabet okay. is google's parent company and meta is instagram and facebook okay so but
1: i would imagine the goal is wider spread but like right now you would think but it's actually not we'll get there oh, inter- oh okay so right now in very current state my um, very uneducated experience with this is that if somebody if i try to share a news article like via a link it will not let me. I cannot link any news. If I try to click on a news article link that someone has put in their Instagram stories or whatever, um, like, say, an American who is allowed to share news, I cannot open the link. But I can still see, like, I have some news sort of people that I follow on Instagram that are American, and I can see what they as long as they haven't linked any content, I can see what they share in their stories and whatnot.
0: Now, I will say under this law, that will eventually go away once the algorithm picks God. them out.
1: If I can't see so, Sharon McMahon anymore, I'm going to, what am I? I no.
0: We will Ooh. get there, but it's it's way worse than you think. <laughs> it's really
1: bad. It's really um frustrating Frustrating at very (laughs) frustrating
0: yeah totally (laughs) and also very frustrating if you're looking at something like for example um i noticed this two weeks ago i went to click on um vice news to follow up on something i'd read on their website to like Mm -hmm. find it on their instagram Mm -hmm. their entire instagram page just says this content is no longer available in canada it just ceases to exist completely
1: but that's just to make it fair
0: annika so fair, the fairest That's just to,
1: in, to, to really expand it, on the fairness. It's so just no one to make, can see it. It's very equitable.
0: It's to make um, Canadian uh, news media more profit by having Removing it disappear. Completely. Anyway, internet. we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we dive in with the kind of the rest of the analysis that goes along with this, that I know we'll get into. The details and the impact of these two bills, I first kind of want to set the stage for listeners outside of Canada, if there's anyone who hasn't stopped listening already, Um, but also for Canadians who maybe haven't really thought about this very much. I think, you know, as an end user, our immediate reaction is this is very frustrating, which it is, but there's a lot more kind of behind this that I think is interesting and I think is worth talking about. So as most people are aware, we are a geographically massive country, second largest in the world, with a fairly small population, 37th in fact by population, with long cold winters in and in the 18 and ni- early 1900s, more than 50% of the population living in rural areas. This means we had to develop as robust a communication network as technology would allow. That means we developed actually a much more elaborate structure than in other comparable countries. Hmm. In 1979, for example, the U.S. had 982 transmitters for radio and television, where Canada, with one-tenth of the population, had 1,045. Cool. We were a pioneer in satellite communications, the first to use geostationary satellites in domestic communication. All of this to color why issues around broadcast communications have historically been really crucial in Canada. The issue today is less of access, although actually even today in some rural and even less rural communities, access is still lagging far behind in terms of modern technology. Um, But of course, today our focus is more on content. So, From the first Radio Telegraph Act of 1913, delineating the power of the government to license radio broadcasting stations, through the Aired Commission's report in 1929, which proposed a publicly owned corporation, hello and welcome the CBC, the first focus obviously was on radio. When television arrived in 1952, there was a split in the jurisdictional powers, where previously CBC was both operator and regulator of all of its private competition, (laughs) it's It's funny to think about that yeah Yeah. (laughs) how funny that is now right um acting both as broadcaster and regulator what could go wrong um reasonable (laughs) so the government established what was called the board of broadcast governors the idea was this board was responsible for regulating the activities of public and private broadcasting stations in Canada and the relationship between them and, quote, ensuring continued existence and efficient operation of the national broadcasting system. The CBC, however, in this continued to report directly to Parliament, so basically circumventing all of that structure. And so in 1968, we had a new act passed partly kind of due to this confusion of having the CBC live completely outside of regulation, but also partly in response to the explosion of a newfangled phenomenon called cable television. (laughs) The 1968 Act created the Canadian Radio Television and Telecommunications Commission, or CRTC, as we know it today, mostly. (laughs) CRTC was given a few areas of mandate, and I don't want to spend too much time on them. I do think, again, this context is really relevant for how we got to where we are today, specifically with these two bills that we're talking about. Um, The CRTC wields a lot of power in Canada. And to kind of skip that, I think it misses the mark on why this is murky and only getting murkier. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the structure. CRTC is run by 13 full-time members, including the chairman, vice chairman, I dislike the gendered language, but that's what they say, of broadcasting and the vice chairman of telecommunications appointed by the cabinet for renewable terms of up to five years. Hmm. I want to sidebar for a second into something that I think is important to distinguish about the CRTC versus the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, because they are similar And obviously get conflated a lot. There are a few key differences. And this is really interesting, actually, when we look at Canadian politics versus US politics generally. Yes, the CRTC members are appointed by the government in Canada, just as they are in the US. The FCC... by product is a far more partisan organization than the CRTC. First, because the CRTC actually operates at an arm's length as judiciary and makes decisions based on evidences submitted during public consultations, where the FCC makes decisions strictly based on party lines. So Mm. political appointments result in legislation per this is what the Democrats want, this is what the FCC mm-hmm. is going to do. This is what mm-hmm. the Republicans want, this is what the FCC is going to do. Hmm. Um, I'm going to come back to that in a second, but I think it's really interesting because, again, when we look at how much power the CRTC wields, we don't have the same issues that they do with the FCC in the U.S.
1: Get yeah, we get this stupid fucking law and they haven't. God. <laughs>
0: uh. So, the CRTC regulates all Canadian broadcasting and telecommunication activity and also enforces the rules that it creates to carry out the policies assigned to it. This includes but isn't limited to kind of five main areas. One is regulation of broadcast distributors. This is like regulation of channels that broadcasters are allowed to offer it includes rule our rules around what's called simultaneous substitution. In practical terms, this, fun fact, is the reason that you can't watch American commercials during the Super Bowl.
1: Oh, that's always like, that's the only thing that I care about at the Super Bowl.
0: Sometimes the halftime show. Otherwise, mm-hmm. just the commercials. More of the commercials, let's be honest. The point is of this simultaneous substitution is to create a market in which canadian networks can make money through ads even if they can't match the rates that the much larger american networks can offer to pay for that same programming
1: i mean i get it like i get that and like i just youtube the super bowl commercials so <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> i get well, it well and i yeah and yeah. like practically
0: it's just an of super ad for bowl something commercials,
1: but like <laughs> Because those commercials are special commercials, but normal commercials, advertising for products that can't even be purchased in
0: right. that region,
1: like it doesn't make sense. And from an advertiser's no. pers- perspective, like it's not actually a great use of marketing money, anyways, for them.
0: Right. Totally. So, totally. like, sure.
1: When we look logically, when we look beyond Super arguments. Bowl commercials, which are very <laughs> special commercials, it yeah, kind of just like that. makes it. Commercials are annoying yeah. no matter what, so it, it may as well at least be targeted I mean that's the whole concept of like making effective ads
0: (laughs) I will say though I don't know if you've ever noticed this watching Canadian television, but sometimes it feels like we have like about six ads and that's kind of all you're going to see for the duration of like a 30 or a 60 minute show is just you're going to see a Tim Hortons commercial, you're going to see a Canadian tire commercial and you might see a Kia commercial and that's about it, right?
1: I haven't had anything beyond streaming services since 2011, so
0: i mean i, I have speaking, no idea what's i am happening speaking at to what i recall
1: <laughs> oh yeah you're like back in 2010 i have a very back in 2010 when i was ads. watching
0: coverage of the olympics
1: <laughs> totally
0: yeah with the song um okay so the next area this the crtc works under is regulation of telephone service i mean we're not going to talk about that because it's not relevant today mm-hmm. also who has a landline anymore anyway My mom. um your mom <laughs> My mom actually doesn't even have one anymore, which I feel like Bless. Yeah. Um, the third area is uh, foreign ownership or transfer of ownership. So this is something I think I probably knew, but didn't really think about very much. Um, we have regulations that prohibit foreign ownership of Canadian telecommunication corporations. Sure. I mean, that um, cool. Sounds good. Uh, also, any transfer of more than 30% of the ownership of any broadcasting license requires advance approval of the commission.
1: Sure. Again, I mean, I think this is also just minimizing monopolization of things and keeping
0: well, things Canadian, keeping sure. the
1: control of their own regulatory bodies more than anything. Right. Yeah. What
0: I find especially interesting about this is that mostly those transfers... As we saw with something like the Rogers and Shaw merger, which we're going to talk yeah. about in a minute, yeah, they're just approved anyway. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I said to avoid monopolization, but it is already a monopoly. We have the it's, worst. It's to avoid it's getting an, it's rid actually... of the current monopolization <laughs> of it.
0: Yeah, I think it's called an oligopoly, where there's like two or three very big uh, players and nobody else. That makes sense. Yeah. So we okay. see that we see the same thing in grocery stores. Yeah. It's part of the example. reason that we pay unreasonable Gas. prices there, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gas stations. The fourth area that I think is particularly relevant for our current conversation is regulation of the Internet. Needless to say, this was not a part of the original 1968 Broadcast Act or even the updated 1991 Broadcasting Act. Also Um, fair.
1: Also fair.
0: (laughs) Uh, It expanded into internet regulation in 1999, ruling on a decision on quote unquote new media. The CRTC held that under the Broadcasting Act, they had jurisdiction over certain content communicated over the internet, including audio and video, but excluding content that was primarily alphanumeric, such as emails and most web pages. Hmm. This creates a okay. foundation for these bills we're talking about today. So we'll come back to it in more detail in a little bit. But I kind of want to come back to this idea of the difference between the CRTC and the FCC. Mm-hmm. Um I just want to be mindful not to paint too rosy of a photo <laughs> as we were just talking about this concept of an oligopoly. The chairperson who ran the CRTC up until December, 2022 was uh champion of the people, Ian Scott, who was most famous or probably infamous for his very close relationships with big tech CEOs. Um, mm-hmm. Jenny, I'm going to send you a blurb from a 2021 media watchdog org um, who focuses specifically on open internet access in Canada.
1: Okay, so it says, quote, On June 12th, the Toronto Star reported that big telecom met nearly a dozen times just with CRTC Chair Ian Scott himself. That's a ton of lobbying, but the infamous Bell CRTC meeting over beers at an Ottawa pub might just be the worst of them all. In broad daylight, Scott sat down for beers with Bell CEO, Mirko Bibic 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 just one week after Bell filed its appeal of the CRTC's 19, er, 2019 wholesale rates after which the CRTC stunned everyone by reversing its own policy and taking Bell's <laughs> side so just go for <laughs> beers with your friend
0: right awesome. go for beers with your friend and then all of the current legislation will be repealed in your favor <laughs> allegedly <laughs> um, allegedly allegedly <laughs> uh, I mean, again, it was under Ian Scott that we saw the approval of the merger of Rogers and Shaw, um, where the CRTC ruled that, quote, the competitive landscape would not be unduly affected and that the transaction would be in the public interest. I have not ever seen anyone outside of big tech even attempt to claim that having less competition in a country that already pays the highest telecommunication rates is somehow in the public interest.
1: I mean, competition is like good everywhere. It just makes you it, it helps push you to do as well as you possibly can to reach people so, in different ways. You know what I mean? Like competition is is like a good thing for the most part.
0: I mean if we live in a capitalist system, that's the whole point to a capitalist system, is the market mm-hmm. will dictate and it will create what is best. But on unfortunately in Canada, our issue isn't partisanship to government as it is in the US. It's partisan phones to are so business. much
1: cheaper. In some places, Mm -hmm. right? Like, my sister lives in Japan and she pays so much less for her phone because there's, like, a million different providers.
0: Yeah. So they have to even
1: finagle all their pricing to be competitive.
0: I was in Kenya in 2019 and they have some of the most advanced technology and the lowest prices for, like, they had smartphone technology that i couldn't even fathom I'm like this is kenya and here in canada i'm paying 110 dollars a month for half of this
1: oh my god david i, I think our phone bill is like 240 bucks a month because we're all on the same plan
0: stupid right. yeah So all of that brings us to our fifth and final issue under CRTC jurisdiction um, and probably what the CRTC is most well known for, and that's Canadian content regulations. This is especially relevant for what we're talking about today. Um, before we go any further, I'm just going to call out my own bias. I actually am a very strong supporter generally of Canadian media pr- media protectionism. I grew up listening to CBC radio. We only had CBC TV until I was in high school. My dad was a very staunch supporter of Canadian media-, media protectionism and what he considered the preservation of Canadian culture. He actually was my inspiration to kind of go as far down the rabbit hole as I have on this topic. Um, I just saw so much of him in the debates that I read around all of these. Mm-hmm policies. I love that. I also have a degree in political science with a special focus on Canadian politics and the way that politics and culture converge. This is where my women's studies degree comes into. But one of the things I have studied a lot is the way that Canadian values can be very easily absorbed and usurped by American culture. I think of one of the most famous quotes about this from Prime Minister uh, Trudeau Sr. in 1969
1: in 1969 prime minister pierre trudeau traveled to washington to meet with president richard nixon oh that's a gem (laughs) sorry let me start that again
0: first phrase no i'm just kidding
1: notoriously (laughs) honest above ground nixon okay sorry I just, that's just so funny. Okay. Um. I know, I know. In 1969, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau traveled to Washington to meet with President Richard Nixon and coined a phrase that has come to define relations between Canada and the U.S. Living next to you is in some ways like sleeping with an elephant. No matter how friendly and even tempered the, is the beast, if I can call it that, one is affected by every twitch and grunt, said the late Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> and Nixon was like, hold on my fear (laughs) shit's about to get real interesting here
0: all right so i think it's important for us to just recognize we share an incredibly long border with not just arguably one of the most powerful countries on the planet but the one with the largest cultural exports on the planet Mm -hmm. it becomes very easy to lose any distinct culture of your own Mm -hmm. especially when you look you know we have a very similar settler colonial culture Mm -hmm. you know is really imported culture from other places what does uniquely canadian culture even look like you know without canadian protectionism it may likely be impossible to say and it's still a hard question to answer anyway
1: would we be less polite
0: would we apologize less (laughs) apparently we're getting there anyways (laughs) um i will in the interest of middle ground and the clearly stated opinions of my husband every time he and i get into an argument about it um the argument of course on the other side of this is that canadian content is censorship canadian content regulations are censorship it's not allowing the best to rise to the top and be rewarded for being the best it by nature selects out something to substitute in Canadian content
1: yeah that's where I see the censorship is that that last phrase too because yeah but I think also you look at resources and like how do you make the best content you gotta have a lot of money behind it
0: Well, and so So, while on its face, I totally understand the argument. I feel exactly like this. I get a little bit uncomfortable because it starts to feel a little bit like the argument against affirmative action, right? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It assumes that a capitalist system is always working perfectly equitably for everyone Mm -hmm. concerned. And Mm -hmm. if you're producing something of good quality, whatever that's supposed to be. Whatever that means. Yeah. Right. Then you'll be rewarded. The reality is, again and again, we see media has had very specific advantages, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. money and connections, which, mm-hmm. you know, allows some people to rise to the top, regardless of if it's good or not, I would argue. hundred you know? percent. Totally. I think we all know some small, you know, musician or artist who will be, you know, never famous because they don't have the right connections. Yeah what I personally think is actually a more compelling argument is how messy the implementation of Canadian content is. What counts as CanCon who gets to decide if something seems like it should be, but it isn't. So let's take, let's talk for a minute about what it has looked like in existing media. Cause um, it's a bit of a mess. <laughs> you know, the
1: logistics are always the worst part.
0: <laughs> totally. Right. How and many but I, again,
1: people were paid to sit around a table and talk about this. Right. But
0: these the are the questions that we have to answer, right? If we're going to look at how are you, if you're going to add Canadian content regulations in, how do we decide, right? So yeah, for sure. this next section is a little bit complex and confusing. So I'm going to go through it in chunks and then Jenny will dissect as needed. So I'm going to start with something that's actually a little bit more fun. We're going to do a little quiz that I found oh, online.
1: Probably going to fail it not my zone um,
0: oh for sure you're for sure you're gonna fail it
1: but perfect
0: it's we really interesting agreement <laughs> um this <laughs> huge shout out for so much of actually what we're covering in this topic to Michael Geist Canadian law professor um, and Canada research chair who's written extensively about Canadian content regulation as well as Bill c11 and C18 so he's created this quiz um that's basically like can con or not so <laughs> oh okay <laughs> we're gonna go through And we'll pick a few um, that are particularly interesting. Of course, I will also link it in the show notes. I highly recommend doing it because it's very entertaining. (laughs) Okay. Okay, So first show is
1: Handmaid's Tale. I'm going to say no. Because that's not even filmed in Canada. And I feel like there's going to be all sorts of stupid stipulations. A hundred
0: percent. Correct.
1: Okay. Oh, it tells you as you go. Oh, oh, okay. So what it says is it says I'm correct, but not for the reason I thought. It says series based on Margaret Atwood book, author of source material does not count towards cancon point system because she's not C A V C O certified
0: yeah so cavco is just one of the many layers and we'll get into it in a minute about how they decide whether something is canadian content or not but if you um are familiar with margaret atwood or not she's you know very famous Canadian, probably one of the most famous canadian novelists um at least of kind of our time um it's also filmed in canada side note oh
1: i thought it was filmed in the states nope it's filmed here not i mean there is a lot of filming happening in canada (laughs) so like right okay so the next one is the borgia Uh, i'm gonna go no Incorrect. Oh, so it's a CAVCO certified co production. Deadpool. So Deadpool was filmed in Vancouver.
0: Starring Ryan Reynolds. Who starring is also Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds,
1: but it sounds like whoever wrote it is part of this. I'm going to say no because I feel like it's obvious because so much of it was Canadian that I'm going to say no. Correct. Yeah. So filmed in Vancouver. At... Oh, sorry. Go.
0: But but here's the crazy thing. It's not, even though it's filmed in Vancouver, stars yep. a Canadian actor, the screenplay was co-written by a Canadian I'm and it's based on a Canadian written. comic book character. Um, this one I feel like is a trick question. So it's
1: Ultimate Gretzky. We all know Wayne Gretzky is Canadian and is like super famous for being a Canadian hockey guy. But I bet you there's some way this is not Canadian because it seems too easy. Correct. Yep.
0: I'm on to the psychology Why would a, why of this. Would a movie about <laughs> why would a movie about the most famous Canadian hockey player ever? Why would that count as Canadian content?
1: That's one I've never heard of. Party Mamas? No idea. I'm just going to say no. Incorrect. It's had multiple Gemini nominations. I don't know what it is. Okay, The English Patient. Um, good movie if you want to cry uh Ralph Fiennes that's remember Ralph Fiennes I know hmm. tears
0: uh Defoe, I mean this is Kristen like, Scott Thomas
1: oh yeah this I feel like because this is such a huge motion picture this is going to be not Canadian incorrect oh they went through the steps to make sure it was considered Canadian um okay
0: Revenge. keeping in mind this is a not a um, a movie that's in like not English and not French.
1: I was just going to say it's Ven, then. <laughs> I don't know if that's Yeah. What language that is going to be? Maybe like a Nordic it's, language.
0: It's neither English nor French, which I feel like feels important <laughs> for a movie to be considered Canadian yeah. content. So I'm going to
1: say it is Canadian just because it seems like they're trying to be. Confusing. It doesn't yes, make any sense. It is.
0: <laughs> okay, Norwegian the Norwegian language
1: film. <laughs> Is it Norwegian? Oh, I was right. Okay. Trailer Park Boys. So this is a Canadian series, if I'm correct. Yep. Um Saskatchewan? Created in Canada. Yeah. Starring, starring Canadians. Canadian, right? Um so I'm going to say no just because I'm sure there's some cuz it's a Netflix, I don't know. It's going to be something stupid like that. Yep, no it's not.
0: Netflix funded.
1: Yeah. Uh, American Lawman. I'm going to say yes just due to irony. American Lawman is canadian certified
0: <laughs> obviously
1: okay i got 50 percent. okay that was kind of fun
0: and i mean and you went through and chose intentionally some that you're like that doesn't make sense so it probably isn't or it probably is right that was with oh, you yeah, like yeah. trying to hedge your bets <laughs> i was like gonna beat this, beat this
1: game <laughs> i mean if we call 50 percent a pass then i guess i did
0: so, since that took us down the road of movies and TV shows, let's talk specifically about movies and TV shows and then we'll move on to music in a minute. So, movies and TV require at least six of a possible 10 points to be considered Canadian. I'm not going to talk about animation because the roles are even more complicated. And honestly, we're just trying to talk about a general overview today. Animation's
1: but more complicated. This is for
0: live action. God. Okay. <laughs> yes, so much more complicated. It could be easier because there's, like, um,
1: I guess, their voices and not faces. Oh, okay.
0: And there's so many levels of like people creating the visuals, right? Oh, um, that's
1: right. You can send out more remote work and yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Totally. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, okay. So again, this is six, six of these have to be yeses, six of these possible 10 points for this to be considered Canadian content. So director okay. is two points. Screenwriter is two points. First and second lead performers are one point each production designer or art director one point director of photography or chief camera operator one point music composer one point picture editor one point the music composer that get didn't you a like point. the same
1: guy do all the music backgrounds for everything james horner <laughs> didn't he do it all
0: that you lose a point right there <laughs> sure. um So for TV, each episode has to meet those requirements, including must have screenwriter or director and must have first or second lead performer. I also want to call out something that like blew my mind in this legislation. Um, Okay. So again, this is like, this is written into the legislation. Okay. When we're looking at these possible six points you can get. Okay.
1: Quote where multiple people share duties for a particular position or multiple people share screen credits for a single position, the production only earns the point if all of the people are Canadian. Example, for a production with two picture editors, one of whom is Canadian and the other is non-Canadian, the position is considered non-Canadian and does not earn a point. Similarly, if there are nine writers and one of those 10 writers is non-Canadian, the position is considered non-Canadian and doesn't earn a point. (laughs)
0: Isn't that the most ridiculous
1: thing you've ever? If 90% heard? of the team is Canadian. <laughs> that 10% speaks for everybody. That's just so Right. Stupid. So, I'm not even surprised.
0: I mean, this is why we end up with the hot mess that we just went through in that quiz, right? Things yeah. you would consider to be Canadian don't qualify and things that yeah. don't make any sense whatsoever, you know, count. So, I love how they don't um, actually put
1: in the benefit to the Canadian economy for the production. Do you know what I mean? Like, because something like Deadpool, (laughs) they closed down, like, huge sections of downtown Vancouver. That's very expensive. Like, they injected a ton of money, not to mention having all the production here. Do you know what I mean? Like, so having a major motion picture filmed primarily in Canada is a huge economic, like, revenue source. Like, it's a big, like, that's...
0: more that's like important that shouldn't be glossed over this is what i find so fascinating about this right is if the goals are you know economic and also exactly this i and this idea like we hear again and again like we you know we want the opportunity to tell canadian stories to hear canadian stories well i would say the handmaid's tale is far more of a canadian story than american lawman right (laughs) but here we are
1: and also there's you're talking about the cost you can't even put a dollar on people that are big enthusiasts will go to see places that things were filmed right so if they know and they can see these areas like people are gonna go people travel to see stuff like that that is you know income through tourism that you can never actually quantify
0: because there's no way to 100 percent, yeah and i think this is these are the pieces that are missed right this mm-hmm. is the the nuance this is through. the nuance that you i yeah. think is almost impossible to capture but at a minimum mm-hmm. certainly is not captured <laughs> um, yes let's it's not quickly... even
1: considered there's no
0: attempt to yeah change. yeah yeah um let's just quickly review music again because as we are a, um an audio <laughs> platform mm-hmm. i think it's important to look at you know how things Are classified um four elements are used to qualify songs as being canadian um music artist performance and lyrics so maple or sometimes people call it maple because you know it's clever canadian yeah that's good Um, so so you've got to hit two of the four so music has to be composed entirely by canadian or the music is or lyrics are performed principally by a Canadian um, or the musical selection consists of a live performance that is recorded entirely in Canada or performed in Canada and broadcast live in Canada. <laughs> and um, the lyrics, the final one is. Uh, They must entirely be written by a Canadian. Again, as we've seen in other media, this means that things like Justin Bieber's songs are not considered Canadian content, nor are most of Celine Dion's catalog. No, because she recorded everything in the States, right? Hit Me With Your Best Shot by American Pat Benatar. Written by a Canadian, so it counts. (laughs) It's just, you know, you're just
1: like, okay, you guys just, it went too far and they just kept going.
0: So our very last bit of context that I think we should review before we dive into, you know, how we got to build C-11 and C-18 is just a little teeny quick trip around the world. It just feels really prudent to call out that Canada is by no means the only country in the world with regulations around cultural protectionism. The European Union, for example, requires a third of all streaming services cataloged to be devoted to European content. One of the key differences there, though, is the difference in language and culture, right? In the Netherlands, let's say, people will Mm -hmm. want to watch programs in Dutch. This immediately means that the default is creating content within the country by Dutch speakers. Mm -hmm. Even Mm -hmm. looking at the UK, the culture is different enough from America that people will still want to see and hear local stories. That culture Mm -hmm. is more established. It has a lot more money behind it. All of that makes quotas just a little bit easier to reach.
1: BBC has like a million channels, too. (laughs)
0: Let's talk about Australia for a minute, because it seems to be the most similar to us in Canada in a lot of ways, and actually will be extra important when we loop back to Bill C-18. It also imports a massive amount of media from the US. It's also English speaking and colonized by the British, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> what I see as some of the key differences, because the quota numbers are actually quite similar, is the way that they define something as Australian for content requirements. For movies, they use something called sack significant australian content so something has to pass the sack
1: test aussies are so witty um the sack test I know right i just it's great okay sorry but of course they did it's a cultural know, export of australia having a good sense of humor
0: okay so this is from the screen australia website
1: <clears throat> quote in determining whether a project has significant australian content we must have we must have regard to the following the subject matter of the film the place where the film was made the nationalities and places of residence of the persons who took part in the making of the film the details of production expenditure occurred in respect to the film and any other matters that are considered to be relevant but if now the I key mean, is that I last part any other matters we
0: consider to be relevant that right. is very open-ended right and i think this space is for the, this is what allows you to be able to look at how are we telling an Australian story? Not Mm -hmm. just how can we tick a box to get Mm -hmm. funding or a tax break? How can we make Celine
1: Dion not count as Canadian?
0: (laughs) So all of this to lay the groundwork that the specifics of what we're talking about on this topic are very complicated. Um, I actually think we're going to pause this chat right here and turn the next part of the chat into part two of this episode, because we've been here a while and we may be here all day. Otherwise Um, I realize I I haven't even gotten to the two bills that we want to dig into, but I think to try and have that conversation without this context is part of the reason that it's been so messy in the media when it's talked about. So we'll wrap this up and make sure you tune in next week for part two.
1: so much for listening to me. middle. we really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a good favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.